This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chutka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Headaches have a variety of causes, and for most, they're just a minor nuisance. For some, they can result in major limitations to one's lifestyle and productivity. Fortunately, most headaches have a benign cause. However, a few represent a serious health problem. Since many of these patients will present to their primary care providers with their headaches, we need to recognize the clues the patients may describe that allows us to suspect their headache may not be benign. In this podcast, we'll continue our series on headaches and discuss serious secondary headaches with Dr. Chao Cheng Cheng, a neurologist at the Mayo Clinic. Welcome, Chao Cheng. Thank you so much, Daryl. Thank you for having me. Well, let's start by talking about intracerebral headaches, uh, things that can go wrong within the brain. Uh, That's something that's quite serious. Why don't you start by talking about those? Right. When you say intracerebral headaches, I think there are different causes that can cause headaches. So for example, intracerebral hemorrhage, bleeding in the brain that can cause headache, different pathologies, tumor infections in the brain that can cause headaches as well. So if we focus the discussion a little bit more on vascular causes of headache, whether it's from intracranial hemorrhage bleeding in the brain, or for example, um, ischemic stroke of the brain, then headache can certainly be a presenting symptom of both ischemic and hemorrhagic stroke as well. So to talk specifically bleeding or intracranial hemorrhage as a cause of headache, there are certainly different presentation. So for example, the most common presenting symptom of intracerebral hemorrhage is thunderclap headache, meaning that the headache went from zero, patients have no pain at all, to 10 out of 10, the worst headache of their life within several seconds. Technically, within one minute is the definition. But the thunderclap headache is a key presenting symptom of intracranial hemorrhage, and also for subarachnoid hemorrhage as well. So certainly, whenever we hear patients that presents with thunderclap headache, we would think about certain differential diagnosis, including seborrheic hemorrhage, most commonly come from aneurysm rupture or a particular vascular syndrome called reversible cerebral vasoconstriction syndrome, which is a reversible narrowing, segmental narrowing of intracranial vessels that can lead to serious consequences as well. Therefore, I typically recommend vascular imaging. But the um, thunderclap headache or severe headache can be a presenting symptom of intracranial hemorrhage as well as ischemic stroke as well. So typically, you know, worsening headache or thunderclap headache can be the presenting symptom of those headaches that come from intracranial pathology. So intracranial pathology bleeds. The onset is really the clue there. It's just a very rapid onset. Right, right. Well, let's talk about another brain blood problem, but this one, a subdural hematoma. How might that present, and uh, how do we separate that from the more intracerebral bleeds? Subdural hematoma, because it's typically coming from damage to the bridging vein, so unlike problems coming from the artery, like aneurysm rupture, which is a very rapid onset headache that produces 
a standard club headache. Patients with subdural hematoma typically has a more subacute or insidious onset, so they might not have a severe sudden standard club headache, but they might have noticed a headache that gradually became more severe, progressively getting worse. And with the expansion of the subdural hematoma, patient could also develop focal neurological symptoms. So for example, they can have weakness of the arm and leg on the other side of their subdural hematoma. So that can be a potential symptom of subdural hematoma as well. So a more gradual onset, but associated with other neurologic deficits and other symptoms. Right, like weakness or gait instability. Do you usually get a history of head trauma or is that not always necessary with subdurals? Most commonly, patients have a history of head trauma. For example, they might have fall down, hit their head, or they had a syncopal event and hit their head, but not necessarily because some patients, for example, can have a very subtle type of trauma to their brain. For example, I've seen patients that went on a roller coaster ride at Disneyland, which they don't feel it as a trauma, but it indeed caused a damage to the bridging vein that led to a subdural hematoma. So there might be a very subtle trauma that patients don't perceive as trauma as a cause of the subdural hematoma. And I imagine that's even more likely in the elderly where they have some degree of cerebral atrophy and the brain actually gets smaller within this skull that doesn't really change sizes with age. Indeed, that is more commonly seen in the elderly population. Okay, now next one. This is the one that I think we worry most about and uh, often makes a decision as to whether we're going to get some head imaging. Let's talk about brain tumors. What are the uh, typical headaches that brain tumors produce? So typically, brain tumor, most tumors are slow-growing tumor, so it's unlikely to have a sudden onset. But most typically, patients can have this progressive worsening of headache, and potentially they can have symptoms and signs suggestive of intracranial hypertension. For example, their headache might be worse at night. The headache could potentially wake them up from sleep because of the increased intracranial pressure that occurs at night or with lying down, like some positional component. Other times, patients could also develop other symptoms. So for example, if the brain tumor is on a particular side of the brain, they might have weakness, numbness that correspond to the location of the tumor, so the neurological deficit. Sometimes patients can develop papillae edema because of the increased intracranial pressure. And sometimes patients can have seizure as well because of the location of the tumor. So they can have like a progressive, like slow worsening headache as a presenting symptom of their tumor. And they can have other neurological symptoms, such as focal weakness, numbness, speech changes, or seizures. But most importantly, whenever we evaluate patients with a history of malignancy, for example, they might have a remote history of breast cancer or other type of cancer, it's important to think about the possibility of intracranial metastasis. So again, with intracranial masses, it's not so much the onset, which is, sounds like it's very gradual but association with other neurologic symptoms and deficits and maybe a, a, a more gradual onset than subdural, which I imagine occurs over hours or days. And with tumors, more like days, weeks, months, is that correct? Right, right, right. Or even years in some cases. So associated, like you point out, the slow onset associated neurological symptoms or potentially 
signs suggested of increased intracranial pressure like papillary edema. How common is it to have an intracranial mass that presents just with headache and no other neurologic deficits? It's certainly not uncommon. And seeing a lot of patients in the headache clinic, we have definitely evaluated several patients with headache with a soul with the only symptom that led to the development of intracranial tumor. So it's not uncommon. Okay. Let's talk about infection, meningitis, encephalitis. How do those present? Yeah, that's a great question. So the most common or the most typical symptom of meningitis, especially bacteria meningitis, we're all familiar with a triad with a headache, fever, ultramental status. So that's the most classical symptom suggestive of bacteria meningitis. However, viral meningitis can present with a way more subtle type of changes, which they might have headache that is slowly getting worse or that headache is more so of a nuance, they can have a more subtle symptoms, for example, subtle memory changes or other nonspecific symptoms such as dizziness, vertigo, that could potentially suggest a meningitis as well. So especially in patients that are immunocompromised, whenever I hear symptoms of headache associated with some nonspecific symptoms that would increase my desire to arrange further workup, including lumbar puncture. Okay. Now, as a, as a geriatrician, I've seen a fair number of patients who have had temporal arteritis, and that's kind of a unique headache. And um, I, I don't think those were all that difficult to pick out, but let's talk just a little bit about that. It's not classically a neurologic problem, but um, it's something we need to be aware of, especially when we're dealing with the older population. Yes. So whenever we hear that there is a new headache that the onset age is older than 60 years old, that is a red flag. So that we're in secondary workup. And typical symptoms of temporal arteritis include most commonly temporal headache. However, I've seen patients describing different types of head pain as well, like jabbing pain, stabbing pain. Scalp tenderness is a very suggestive and important symptom of temporal arteritis. So they might feel like touching their scalp become very tender. So that is certainly a red flag. Jaw claudication, whenever patients report chewing can cause jaw pain. So that is another important symptom of temporal arteritis as well. Most of the time, patients can have associated polymyalgia rheumatica. So they can have nonspecific pain in the shoulder, arms, or thigh as well. So those things would warrant, raise our suspicion to warrant, to arrange further workup, specifically order a set rate CRP and potentially temporal artery biopsy if needed, or even empirically start them on prednisone. Mm -hmm. And for those patients, it does not hurt the diagnosis to start them on steroids immediately and then proceed with the biopsy even a day or two later. So that's, that's an important feature. Yeah, exactly. So always when there is a clinical suspicion because the threat is loss of vision, like losing vision, it's important to start them on steroid first while trying to expedite temporal artery biopsy. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then let's talk about concussion, head trauma. Yeah, so concussion is certainly a very common thing that we see in our headache clinic, and it can range from a mild traumatic brain injury, so sports-related concussion occur with football or different type of sports, or motor vehicle accident, or even you know other more serious form of accident-related 
concussion. So in the headache world, we characterize it as mild traumatic brain injury, which typically comes without mild or moderate to severe traumatic brain injury. It kind of depends on whether the patient has loss of consciousness or the patient had associated intracranial hemorrhage that requires surgery. Most typically, headache is the most common symptom after a concussion that typically occurs immediately after the injury. And for most patients, the headache resolve within three months after the injury. However, for a small number of patients, the headache can persist three months after the concussion. In that case, we call it persistent post-traumatic headache. There are different types of headache presentation. Most commonly, patients report a migraine-like headache, so headache with like throbbing unilateral associated with light and noise sensitivity, nausea and vomiting. Some patients present with a tension type headache as well after a traumatic brain injury or after a concussion. Most of the time, in addition to headache, as part of the post-concussive syndrome, patient can have different symptoms as well, which include sleep disturbances, emotional liability, autonomic dysfunction, for example, post-concussive POTS symptoms that we see a lot in our headache clinic as well, and other symptoms like difficulty with focusing, cognitive symptoms, or visual symptoms as well. So typically, treating post-concussive headache, we would work in conjunction with our physical medicine and rehabilitation colleagues to address those different types of symptoms that can occur after a concussion. Mm -hmm. This next one I'm going to mention, we don't need to spend a lot of time on this, but it is important for those who live in, especially in the northern climates where the furnace is going to be going on a lot during the winter time, and the headache itself is not serious, but it can represent a serious condition, and that's carbon monoxide toxicity. Right. So carbon monoxide toxicity, patients can present with a wild variety of symptoms, with headache being the most common presenting symptom. And the headache can also range most typically like a annoyance type of headache. But for some patients, it can, the headache can certainly be more severe. It can be like a tension type presentation or like a migraine type presentation. Most commonly, patients would have other associated symptoms. So they can have dizziness or they can have shortness of breath as well, depending on whether they also have injury to others, for example, the cardiovascular system. Those type patients most frequently present to the primary care physician or even emergency room. And then we get referred to evaluate those patients for their headache. So we would treat according to the phenotype of their headache. So Chao Jin, is there any other secondary headache that you would consider serious that we haven't discussed? Yeah, so certainly in our headache clinic, we see a lot of patients with headache that is coming from either increase or decrease intracranial pressure. For example, a condition called idiopathic intracranial hypertension, or also known as people call it pseudotumor cerebri, that is more commonly seen in young women who have higher BMI and Typically in the history, I would ask for whether they have transient visual obscuration. So they might report loss of vision lasting between 10 to 15 seconds. So that is a red flag. Some patients have double vision. Diplopia is certainly a red flag. And most commonly, some patients also report pulsatile tinnitus that they might feel like they have this whooshing sound, whoosh, 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 that is pulse synchronizing. So that goes with your heart rate. And so those are the red flags for increased intracranial pressure, specifically idiopathic intracranial hypertension. And the diagnosis typically in those 
patients, especially who report those symptoms, I would arrange an MRI of the brain. I think an MR venogram would be helpful as well to see if there is any narrowing of the transfer sinuses. And the lumbar puncture would be a gold standard to diagnose IIH. So typically for a lumbar puncture that is obtained in the lateral decubitus view, that the opening pressure has to be over 25 centimeter H2O to meet the diagnostic criteria for idiopathic intracranial hypertension. So that's something that we see quite commonly in the headache clinic. Another thing is spontaneous intracranial hypotension or headache attributed to low intracranial pressure as opposed to the pressure being too high in this situation, we worry about the intracranial pressure being too low, and that might be coming from a CSF leak. And that could be either from patient having a lumbar puncture recently or from other causes, for example, patients that have connective tissue disease, they might have a little tear in the dura sac, or patients that they might have something called a CSF venous fistula, meaning they have a connection between the dura sac and the venous system. It's important to ask whether they have any postural component to their headache, because patients with intracranial hypotension, they oftentimes report a headache that is significantly worse when they stand up from a sitting or lying position. And sometimes for patients, they might have had the CSF leak for a very long period of time. They would no longer feel this positional component. However, they might report a time of the day association. So for example, they might report that morning before they get out of bed is the best time of the day. But the headache as they get up and get to their daily activity, they might report a progressive worsening of their headache as the day goes on. They would say, my headache is always worse in the afternoon or in the evening. So I take that as a warning sign to consider this diagnosis as well of potentially intracranial hypotension if they report this time of the day association. So those are the typical, you know, like things that I obtain in, in the history that would warrant me to think about other causes rather than a primary headache disorder. Well, it's, it's very clear from your discussion of each of these different types of headaches that the history is so important and clues that the patient may give us are often obtained from taking a very thorough history. Are there any other things that you can think of that may help us in terms of giving us some red flag symptoms that make us think this isn't just an ordinary headache? In the headache clinic or in the emergency room or in the inpatient setting, taking a history is extremely important because oftentimes we can identify those red flags with history taking. So in the headache, we have this snoop for mnemonic, that is to identify red flags in the history and physical that warrants further workup. So snoop for stands for S, stands for systemic symptoms and signs, including if patients have fever, chills, or sweats that might suggest infection or inflammation, such as temporal arteritis, whether they have a history of malignancy that would warrant our suspicion for an intracranial tumor, or whether they are immunocompromised that would warrant us to think about infection, or whether they have weight loss that is a red flag as well, or jaw claudication. So those type of systemic symptoms and signs are important to consider. N stands for neurological deficits or focal neurological symptoms whether patients report focal weakness, numbness in the history, either with headache or without headache, ataxia or speech difficulty, or whether you 
identify abnormalities in the neurological exam. So that is a red flag to warrant secondary workup, either from imaging, lumbar puncture, or other tests. Instead of O, there are two O's in the SNOOP4 mnemonic. One O is onset. As we discussed, Sanderclap onset headache is a red flag. So it's important to ask, have you ever experienced headache that went from zero, you have no pain at all, to 10 out of 10 pain within a second like that, or within several seconds or less than one minute? So this quick onset headache warrants other workup, especially some sort of vascular imaging to see whether they have seborrheic hemorrhage, unruptured intracranial aneurysm, or reversible cerebral vasoconstriction syndrome. Another O is the onset age. So whenever patients have new headache that starts over the age of 60 or 65 years old, or on the other hand, when patients have new headache that onsets in someone younger than five years old, like a kid, that will be a red flag to wear in secondary workup, typically in the pediatric population that would suggest intracranial tumor. And in the orderly population, as we discussed, temporal arteritis, that is something that we always need to think about in patients that have new onset headache over the years of 65 years old. As far as the P, there are four P's that I want to mention. So the first P is pattern change. So if patients, they said, I had migraine 10 years ago that never really bothered me. However, this headache is different. So a change in the headache pattern, a change in the headache characteristic, it's because the location is different, the headache duration is different, or even that the medication response is different. So patients might said that the previous headache respond to this particular medication, but the current headache I have is no longer responding to this medication. That's a pattern change. That is a red flag. Another P is precipitation by Valsalva maneuver. So if a patient reports that the headache can be triggered or significantly worsened by coughing, sneezing, straining, or for example, like working on a ball movement. So that is a red flag to suggest secondary headache. So for example, headache associated with increased intracranial pressure or CSF leak can a lot of time have this association or precipitation by Valsalva maneuver. Another P is postural component. So as we discuss, if the headache is worse with flying down, that would worry about increased intracranial pressure. If the headache is significantly worse with standing up, then we worry about intracranial hypotension. So a postural component is important to ask. Another P is popular edema, whether a patient, if, when patients have popular edema on exam, that is certainly worrisome, suggestive of increased intracranial pressure. And after the four P, there are several people that have added several other P's to that. So for example, pregnancy is a red flag for headache as well. So for example, cerebral venous thrombosis is a common cause of headache during pregnancy. Another common cause of headache. So for example, press, posterior reversible encephalopathy syndrome, or even preeclampsia, eclampsia, those are all common causes that can occur as a cause of headache during pregnancy or postpartum period as well. So those are the things that we typically think about and ask about whenever we obtain a detailed headache history as well as physical examination. So the SNOOP4 mnemonic is quite important to remember. Well, we've been discussing serious secondary headaches with Dr. Chao-Ching Chiang, a neurologist at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Chao-Ching, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us. It's a very complicated subject and you made it sound so simple. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. My pleasure.
You can now listen to over 100 different medical topics developed for primary care providers on Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts. Find them at ce.mayo.edu or your favorite podcasting app. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please follow us. Stay healthy and see you next week.